All right, welcome everyone. Uh, it's great to see everyone here. Um, we have an amazing um, webinar today. So if you have a pen and paper handy, get ready to take lots of notes. Um, if you don't have one handy, this is a good time to take 30 seconds to run out and get some stuff to write on because uh, we're gonna hit you with a lot of really good valuable stuff today. So who is this A&E Live for? It is by advisors, for advisors. Uh, this is us sharing our experiences uh, real situations, proven strategies, and peer-to-peer -peer in the sense that one of the amazing things we have here at, at uh, Planswell is something called PlanCraft, where um, advisors get together, we all share ideas. So some of these ideas aren't even myself or Andy's ideas, they are uh, effectively your peers. So I'm really excited to share some of those. And let's get right into this right now. Um, so who here wants to close more meetings or book more meetings. I imagine every single person on this call is in that situation. If you have way too much business or you're making way too much money, then maybe this is not the webinar for you. But if you're looking for more meetings and more business, I suggest you stick around and take some notes. Andy, are you ready to go, my friend? I'm always ready, man. I was born on. All right, let's do this then. So uh, we're gonna start from the very beginning of the process. So this is your initial phone call. And as I'm going through this, keep in mind, this doesn't necessarily have to be plans well leads. It could be your own leads as well. So some of the things that we've learned um, going through strategies with other advisors, the ones I've seen that are probably the best one I've seen so far is something called a triple dial method. Um, and I'm going to pass this off to you because I know you love this as well. So kind of explain this whole triple dial method and how it works and why it works, which is important. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it really... You know, one of the things I find so fascinating is the psychology of a lot of it, right? And we all know somebody calls on our phone, we don't recognize the number, especially if it comes up as some company that we didn't engage with, you ignore it. Then if that person calls back right away, you're kind of thinking, oh, this might be important. This is not a telemarketer. Um, and then if that person calls back a third time, you are more likely to pick it up or go, okay. I'll see if they left me a message or sent me a text or something. At that point, you've got somebody's attention, right? And when we talk about the triple dial, we're talking about consecutive dials, not calling three times. It's call, they don't pick up, hang up, don't leave a voice message, call right back again. Same thing, don't leave a message or text or anything, call again. I bet you that likelihood is that person's gonna pick up if they're capable and they were just screening it. And if they didn't, they're going to see that you called three times and then there'll be a text message saying, hey, Hermos, this is Andy. Uh, I'm recalling, you know, I have a quick question for you. I can be reached in my office until 5 p.m. I can be reached at this number. If I don't hear back from you, no problem. I'm going to call you back again today or tomorrow. Exactly. This really sets that tone of, OK, this person means business. This is not some dubious solicitation. Right. And that's why, you know, lots of, lots of sales gurus say, well, if you don't eventually leave a text or a voicemail, that call never happened. So that's why that recommendation is there and giving them the opportunity to call back. And quite frankly, you've told the person, look, you have a two choices now. Call me back when it's convenient for you, or I'm just going to call you back again anyway. Yeah. Right. The other thing, uh, sorry, I don't know if you want me to move on to the next things there. Most no, I'll kind of go through that as well. So, you know, I've had some conversations with other advisors that said, well, is, is three calls back to back to back too much? And 
you know, we, we kind of go through it and, and explain the way you just did as well. It, there's, a, there's a purpose for three consecutive calls and then that voicemail or that voice message. And every single person that has, has been doing this to this point has not received a single complaint from anyone saying, I can't believe you called me three times. So for those who may be thinking of this and saying, okay, maybe that's too much up to this point, and there's probably a dozen or more advisors that are using this and are on the regular now, not a single person has come back to me and said they've had a complaint. So we know that this works. And the interesting thing is the ones that are, instead of just leaving a voice message, they're leaving a voice or video message. I'll let you explain that as well, Andy. That has become even more effective than just the original three dial and then a voice message. Do you want to talk well, about that? Absolutely. I mean, the voice message is now giving this person a little bit of a glimpse or crumb of who is this person calling? What do they like? Do they sound salesy? Do they sound like they're just somebody following up on something, which is what you're doing? And number, you know, with the video call, to me, that's what I call the wow factor, right? And that wow factor is creating some kind of interaction that is different. And in this environment, different is good. There's this, there's this TED talk that I watch, which I highly recommend. Um, it's about Maya. And what that stands for is most advanced yet acceptable. And what that means is things that you're comfortable with, like texts and voicemails and things, that's normal. People are comfortable with it. But going that extra step is that little bit of innovation, that little bit of advancement that makes it sound like this is something cool and different and new. And it really does work. It's, it's kind of why like most pop songs have the same chord structure, right? And the same strong structure. So it's most acceptable. That's what you're used to hearing. But there's little bits of in innovation in there that make it different. And the more that you hear it, you become more comfortable with it. No different here, which also leads into the, the calling three times and why it takes lots of touches to get somebody. Because once they've seen your name, they've got an email, they've heard your voice, now you become familiar, even though you've never maybe talked. Exactly. And just to clarify, you said a voice, uh, a video call. It's actually a video message. So what video message, sorry, sorry. Is they're recording themselves, giving that voice message, and then they send that through text to those prospects. And again, that's that's what you're referring to as the wow factor, right? Yes. Yeah. My apologies. Not a call, a video message, a text message. Excellent. Okay. So one of the things that Judy mentioned last week was changing up the times and the times that actually worked for her um, were twofold. One, I believe she mentioned she finds out when they actually built that plan. They, she usually calls around that time. And the second one was kind of the default one she was referring to was Friday afternoon. There's a reason for that. And Andy, I think you can explain that much better than I can. Yeah, just to, just to give you a little bit of foundation there. Um, on this webinar, there are advisors who have been partnered with us and are getting leads from us and, and are part of our bigger ecosystem. Some of you may be brand new and just got invited to this webinar. So I just want to clarify that, that some people on, on this webinar understand what we're talking about when we're talking about the dials and whatever, but these concepts work globally, right? Um, but just to give you an idea, so Judy, who we interviewed last week, uh, is a relatively newish advisor to Planswell, a couple months, four months, I think. She's had success already. She's amazing. And she talks about really you know, knowing your audience, but also you can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. So if you call somebody at 10 in the morning, probably not a good time for, to call them. So try them in the afternoon. So that's what we're talking about changing up the tiles. 
uh, the times of the call. Number two, one thing she said, which we already knew and I know for myself is Fridays and especially Friday afternoons are what we call trap Fridays. And what that means is generally speaking on Friday afternoons, people are less thinking about work. They're thinking about the weekend. They're trying to fill in the rest of their hours and look busy and are more likely to pick up the call and be engaged because they know they're going to be off work in a couple hours, right? And it's not as much of an inconvenience of somebody calling them. So Friday afternoons, I think she mentioned like between two and four, right? I think she specifically said that. I find that uh, as well. And I'm usually in a good mood on Friday afternoon. As most people are, right? Yeah. All right. So that was the initial phone call to try to connect with somebody, to actually have a conversation with somebody. So now we've used those methods. We're starting to connect with people. So now we move over to the, the actual conversation itself, right? So there's a couple of strategies here that work extremely, extremely well. And all of this is actually in the PlansWell script, which is provided to PlansWell partners. And you have a lot more experience in this. And I know you can knock this out of the park, so go ahead. Oh yeah, so I mean, you know, the, the whole script thing, I know lots of people have this, aversion to a script because they think it's somehow a, an affront to their ego or something. But let's face it, we all have scripts, whether we read them or they're just internally there that we say at certain times in a consultation or in a meeting with a client, it's still a script, right? It's something that's pre-rehearsed or mapped out already that you've delivered many times or never before. And all of these things have been tested you know, especially our script that plans well has been tested hundreds of thousands of times, many iterations made. Is it the only thing that can be said? No, but you know, you're, you're trying to get a template in that works for most people. And trust me, I heard advisors. I was actually one of them that didn't know the first thing about connecting and, and sales and things like that. And would just read that script verbatim and and book consultations and build rapport and, and all those kinds of things. And so that's the whole idea is being able to be focusing on what the other person is saying rather than thinking about what am I gonna say next or where am I gonna take this call? So it's really just that recipe for success. You know, I mean, I don't know how many people here have built Ikea furniture. Well, you know, it doesn't turn out if you start at step one and then go to step five, right? <laughs> one to and believe me i've tried to put stuff together without looking in the instructions and my wife argued and i've argued about it all the time it's like hey i got an idea why don't we read the instructions <laughs> there's always <laughs> extra parts i i'm i am convinced there's extra parts i'm convinced you cannot yeah. convince me otherwise yeah but what we specifically you know did i did i catch you at a bad time the whole building rapport and the objection versus resistance statement Absolutely. So the, did I catch you at a bad time? Once again, hearkening back to the psychology of things. Most people say, is this a good time to talk? And you're basically just pitching it over the plate for the person to say no, right? Because they don't even know what you're going to talk about necessarily yet. So it's really easy to just say no. And most of the time, that's how a question gets asked. Do you have a few minutes to chat or did I catch you at a good time? And instinctively, knee-jerk reaction is no. But when you say, did I catch you at a bad time? That knee-jerk reaction is no. no. You've just given, you've been given the green light to keep talking, especially if you just say, great, right after they say no, before they even caught themselves giving you the green light. 
And at that point, you're starting to, you know, every every minute you're on the call, every second you're on the call, you're that much closer to the next most important thing is building the rapport and putting this person's mind at ease that nobody's backing them in the corner here. Nobody's trying to sell them anything. And it's also why asking, did I catch you at a bad time, is making the other person feel not pressured, like they're in control of the conversation, right? And that when you keep checking in with those things, that person lets their guard down and feels more comfortable. And, you know, I'm going to segue right into the rapport, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to switch here for a second. I thought this was important. The definition of rapport, rapport is getting a good sense of understanding and trust. So the rapport is that key foundation to that conversation, is letting that person know that you understand them, letting them understand you, and building that trust. And so that rapid rapport is so super critical. And I think one of the things that's really important about rapport is being genuine right? Everybody has a different personality, but being genuine is universal. People can pick up on that. Can you give us- I'm going to shut up for a second. No, I was going to say, can you give a specific example of rapid rapport? Because uh, for those who are- Absolutely. This is really important. Okay, perfect. So let's just do it. So bring, bring, you be the person I'm calling. Bring, bring. Hello. Hey, Hermos. It's uh, Andy calling regarding Flanzo. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Usually, Ermos would ask me how I'm doing. <laughs> we did not script this. We did not script this. But yeah, how, are you doing, how are you doing, Andy? How are you doing? Ermos, uh, you know what? I'm great. I just, I just finished the sausage egg McMuffin. And I swear, Ermos, I don't know if it's the chemicals in it that McDonald's puts in there or just invokes a childhood memory, but just puts a smile on my face. I don't know. Can you hear the smile through the phone? Uh, <laughs> Ermos, do you have... You have some food that just puts you in a good mood. Yeah, for me it's coffee. That's not really a food, but it really makes puts a smile on my face. Well, I agree. I I'm a big coffee fan. You know, my probably one of the top two purchases I've ever made was an espresso that I Santa brought me this year. And what I really like with a uh, a nice fresh coffee is a fresh blueberry muffin. Just the way that the coffee melts the muffin in my mouth. I get you, Eramos. I get you. Um, anyway, listen, I didn't call to, uh, to talk about coffee, and now I'm actually hungry, even though I just had that McMuffin. Uh, listen, uh, I'm just calling to find out you filled out this questionnaire with Planswell. You know, what motivated you to do that? Do you even know what Planswell does or anything like that? And now... So I, so I was going to say, Andy, I love this because um, I was not a believer in the beginning, and then I started seeing some of the comments come in from other advisors that were using this. And they're like, I can't believe I haven't been using this my whole career. It, it works so well and with everybody. And I'm a huge believer of it now, that whole build, building the rapport up front. So I know it works. But what about this objection versus resistance statement? Because that's usually what happens next. So after you start having that conversation, you build a rapport, but eventually you're going to get that objection. So how does that play out? Well, an objection, a resistance statement is something like, I, I was just curious or... Uh, I'm not interested, or now's not a good time, or whatever. That they're not objecting to anything. That's just that force field. That's a knee-jerk reaction. Trust me, I was the king of the brush off, right? Before I got into sales myself, uh, you know, oh, I gotta, 
I got my, you know, my fireplace is overflowing or my daughter needs me to make food or whatever, like whatever ridiculous thing. But that's not an objection, right? An objection is I can't afford to buy this thing or I'm not buying this ham sandwich because I'm a vegetarian. That's an objection, but not interested, just curious. I'm strapped for time. That's a resistance statement. And you handle them completely differently, right? A resistance statement is more acknowledging that person's statement and keep talking. Oh, I hear you almost, you know, I know you're not interested. Listen, if I called me, I wouldn't be interested, but I haven't really even told you why I'm calling, but I get it. And I have people that felt exactly the same way you did, Aramis, when I first called clients that I currently have now. So I get it. But what they found was I'm just here to help them get what they want and to see if I'm the right person to do it. So really, I'm just looking for a couple of minutes to have a quick chat. And if you never want to speak again, that's totally fine. Does that sound fair? Absolutely. I don't say, I don't say does that sound, do you want me to keep talking? Does that sound fair? Because nobody can say that doesn't sound fair, yeah. right? So that's good. So then now we've, we've, we've kind of progressed the conversation. And now the, the point of the matter is we need to get their attention so that we, as advisors, can stand out, to progress to the next step, which is the, eventually the, the meeting or the, or, or the booking. So some of the things which we know get people's attention. Um, I know I've been working with some advisors and what they're saying is, they have the plan, in, they have their plan, so they identify two or three ideas on how they can actually better their plan. So when they reach out to that person, they bring up the plan and maybe give them one of the three. So the whole purpose is I've identified, you know, Andy, I've identified three opportunities for you. Here's one. And then if you want to hear the other two, when we have more time, maybe we can book a meeting and we can kind of go over them. So the important thing here is you give them the what the opportunities, tax savings, whatever it is, but never the how. So if it's tax savings, you can tell them, you know, if I restructure your portfolio or move money into one asset class versus another, I can save you taxes, but you never, ever, ever specifically say, here's exactly how to do it. If they want to get that part, they're going to have to book a meeting with you. Andy? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's part of that rapport too. You can say something like, you know, how, how have things been for you during COVID? Like, what's the impact been? And, you know, how's everything going on in the world right now affecting you? Or is that something you're, you know, stressed out about or whatever? Because now you can recapitulate or bring it back to, you know, you mentioned earlier that things were a bit stressful for you. Um, what did you mean by that? Is it like, do you have a recovery, recovery plan? Or you mentioned inflation. What is your inflationary plan that you've been discussing with your advisor? Oh, you don't have an advisor right? No, no, no. It's even better. So the, so you're right. But one of the conversations we had in, in uh, PlanCraft the other day was you actually want them to have an advisor because the question is, Andy, the markets are all over the place. Markets are down whatever, 10%, 8%, whatever it is today. Um, when, the last time you spoke to your advisor, I assume it was probably the last couple of weeks, what did you guys decide is going to be a recovery plan? And then you just sit back, you just wait. And then all you're going to hear is crickets, right? And they're going to say, well, I haven't spoken to my advisor. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, you do realize the markets are all over the place. There's a war happening in Russia and Ukraine. There's COVID happening. There's inflationary risk. There's all this stuff happening. I've, I'm surprised that your advisor hasn't reached out to you. So what you're telling me is you actually don't have a recovery plan or you don't have an inflationary plan. So that alone 
starts to get them questioning whether they already have the right advisor. And then it kind of puts you on solid ground in the sense that, okay, you know what, Andy's calling me and he's talking about stuff that's really should be front and center and important, yet I'm not getting that from my current advisor. So that's a great way to create that, what do you call it, a wedge issue to kind of get them to start wanting to talk to you. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, as, as you've got that sort of last bullet point there, so you created a plan. Why, why now? Like what motivated you to do that? As opposed to next month or last month or last year. Right? No. I, I love questions that the answer can only benefit the conversation and only move that conversation forward. Right. And these are, you know, you and I both know we share a lot of these in, in these plan craft meetings and say, well, ask this question, because no matter how they answer it, it's an opportunity for you. And there's Absolutely. there's hundreds of them. And uh, for those who are on this uh, webinar, all of these work, by the way. So these are proven strategies that work in the field. We've spoken to advisors and they, they're the ones that are telling us that those are the questions that when asked to your prospects actually work. They progress the conversation. Yeah, I know you've had it where you like, people have said to you, I can't believe this works. Like I would <laughs> never have thought for a second that this would work as well as it does. So here's the next step, Andy. So now you've got their attention and now they actually want to talk to you. But industry statistics show that as soon as they hang up that call with you, 41% of those people are going to start looking for you online. So they're going to search and they're probably going to find your LinkedIn page and or your website. Now, here's the question to everyone on this call right now. What are they going to find? Because some people say, you know, I do a really good job in, you know, connecting with the client, booking that meeting, but then for whatever reason, a large percentage don't show up to the actual meeting. And then we go back and look at their LinkedIn page and their website, and it's just either vague or it's just not impressive at all. And that's the reason why they're actually missing out on these book calls, because they, they get off the phone. The prospect does some research on, on them. They don't like what they see. And then they just forget about that, that actual booked meeting. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I know I do it and I actually suggest it to people. I'm like, Hey, by all means, look me up on LinkedIn. It's Andy Cosby. Uh, you know, the only other Andy Cosby that may come up, I think is some cartoonist. That's not me. Um, and often I ask what questions do you have about me? Here's a, I'll send you a link to my website. Go check me out. Right. Um, and sometimes I find that when you offer it, then people don't feel inclined that they have to do it because if you were hiding something, you wouldn't offer it. That's true. Absolutely true. So let's get into some tips here, Andy. Uh, these are again, some of the ideas that came back from one of our plan craft sessions. So now with the markets going up and down, uh, one of the things you can talk to your prospects about is if you, if you're not liking your returns, if you're not liking what your portfolio is looking like right now, Probably uh, a big part of that reason is because you're not using any alternative or private investments, which aren't necessarily connected to the markets, both uh, stock or bond. Uh, are you using cash surrender value of a whole life policy? If you're in the U.S., you have IULs, segregated funds with guarantees, real estate funds don't uh, mimic the um, stock market either. Focusing them strategies wise on long term versus short term. Again, the we did a whole session on this uh, a couple of weeks back using a referral link. So one of the greatest things that I believe plans well has, and, and just for full disclosure here, I've been an advisor for 23 years. I'm a CFP. I wish that I had this plans well referral link uh, back in the day. 
because to me it's it's pure gold and something simple to do is reach out to them send them that referral link they can put together a plan but now instead of using your traditional two percent inflation rate try using three or four percent like just that extra one or two percent will absolutely erode their finances and all of a sudden what seemed to look like a really good plan is no longer a good plan um uh, and sorry Andy, just before i get, get you in here the whole behavioral coaching thing. So Vanguard, Russell, there's a whole bunch of uh, surveys out there or actual data out there which show that the greatest opportunity that your clients have is to have you in their corner is to make sure you never make the big mistake. So what's the big mistake? 2008, 2009, markets tank 50%. Your clients get spooked. They take all their money and they stick it in cash. They will never recover because the markets recovered almost 50% or actually 100% because it would have doubled over the next two or three years. So if they sat in those sidelines, they would have never recovered. So there's, there's no amount of dollar cost averaging or rebalancing that will ever get them to recover. So a big part of your job as advisor is to make sure your clients don't make that big mistake. And I'm gonna get to that three bucket solution, which took me forever to find, um, but I'm gonna refer back to you to kind of give your perspective on these. Well, yeah, I, I 100% agree on, on the whole hitting the panic button. But in my experience, just, you know, servicing a really broad range of clients, you know, the, the biggest mistake is continuing to be ignorant about what you need to do and being undisciplined and doing nothing and keeping your head buried in the sand and expecting that things are going to turn out okay. Because we all know as advisors, that's not going to happen. And so I, I think I always take that very education-based approach, you know, knowledge is power, all the cliches, and really hone in on that part too. I, I know you're talking about people that are already potentially doing something and preventing them from making bigger mistakes with that something. But for me, I, I want to get people, if I, could, if I could get every 19, 20-year-old, as soon as they start earning money on a plan, that would make me happy. The Absolutely. world would be a better place financially. Because they'll have, they have time in, on, in their favor, right? So I'm going to go through this three-bucket solution, which a lot of people have been asking me for. Um, I try to get this out sooner, but uh, for those who don't know, I actually have five external hard drives of content that I've accumulated over the past 23 years. And it actually took me four hours to find this strategy. So I'm going to go through it now, uh, kind of at a high level. But this is a fantastic way to kind of differentiate yourself from every other advisor out there. It's possible that you may have something similar that you're working with, but this is what worked extremely, extremely well for me, not just with my own clients, but to show uh, my potential prospects how I was different from their current advisor. Now, when someone reaches retirement, and by the way, guys, when you're presenting this strategy, it doesn't have to be for someone who's in retirement. It could be at any age, but you're just showing them how you're going to make sure that you're protecting them, Right. So when somebody enters retirement, those first few years are so critical. It could be the difference between them outliving their money or not outliving their money at all. Exact same portfolio, but the timing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of show a very simple example. So let's go back in time to 2006. Instead of putting everyone's, everyone's money into something extremely safe, um, a lot of people do this, by the way. Maybe if you have a very, very good advisor, it's not the case. But I've seen many times someone enters retirement and for whatever reason, they think that the next logical step for them is to take all their money out of the markets and dump it in something really, really safe. That is not the right way to go 
Because if you're 60, 65, and the average lifespan is 80, 85, you're already looking at about a 25-year retirement. You're going to need your money to grow during that time. And in fact, if somebody's married, one of the spouses uh, on average will live over 30 years. So if you take all your money and you dump it into something safe, like a GIC in Canada or a CD in the US, you are likely to run out of money because 30 years is a long time. Inflation is going to eat away at that. So here's a very simple strategy that can ensure that your money will always outpace inflation. So instead of taking all your money and dumping it into something safe or whatever it is, what we do is we're going to spread it through three buckets. The very first bucket is going to be guaranteed investments. So again, GIC in Canada, CD, T-bills, cash, whatever it is. If you want to be a little bit more creative or a little bit more aggressive, uh, what some people do is they get a line of credit to offset some of that if your clients are okay with going into a little bit of debt potentially. Then you have your midterm bucket. So your midterm bucket could be for maybe you want to buy a cottage in the future or you want to buy a boat or um, a second property, whatever it is. So it's something that you're saving up for. So you don't necessarily want to keep it 100% safe because then you're not really getting any return. But at the same time, you, you don't want to keep it in the market because if the market's tank, just before you want to buy that second property, that may make it impossible for you to do so. So we still keep most of our assets invested the same way pre-retirement in long-term. So 2006, this is what your portfolio would look like. Most of your investments are long-term, but you do have some investments guaranteed and some in midterm. Now, most years, as we know, markets actually go up. I believe the number is three to four, or four, to five, four out of five years, the markets actually increase. Fantastic. So we are prepared. So what's going to happen is in those years, we are going to withdraw money from our growth. Fantastic. Long-term growth went up, whatever it is, 5%, 6%, 7%. Whatever money we need, we are going to withdraw from the long-term assets. Perfect. Everything's working great. However, as we know, whenever you're investing in the markets, it's not always going to be rosy and sometimes things are going to happen. So I'm actually giving you like a pretty worst case scenario here. We're going to go back in time to 2008 and 2009 with the, the we'll call it a market crash, market collapse, banking, whatever you want to call it. The reality is the markets tanked about 50%. So this is what my client's portfolio would look like. Uh, at the end of 2008 and 2009, obviously they took a huge hit on their long-term investments, midterm, maybe a little bit of hit, but their guaranteed investments were not affected at all. So now what we're going to do is because they have uh, monthly expenses that they need to take care of, all the money that we are going to be using is now coming from those short-term investments, which means we are not going to touch long-term investments at all. So what does that mean? That means we're not crystallizing any losses we are not putting ourselves in a hole that we cannot recover. We put three years worth of guaranteed income away so that we can go use that during market downturns. So again, in 2008 and 2009, we're not going to touch our long-term assets, but instead we're going to touch our short-term assets. So now what's going to happen? In 2012, the market's fully recovered. So as bad as 2008 and 2009 were, three years later, the market's fully recovered to what they were pre crash. So this is what the portfolio is going to look like now. Because we didn't take any money out of our long-term growth to spend it for those three years, our assets made a full recovery in just three years. And now our guaranteed investments are lower. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some of the gains from the market growth and we're going to reinvest it back into the short term. And all we're doing is reloading again and just waiting for the next downturn. So long story short, Cole's version of this is as the markets normally react, which is usually a, a, an up year, 
We're going to be using our long-term assets, which is fantastic. And then anytime we have a downturn, then we're going to use our short-term assets. And this way, we can continue to have a good portion of our assets growing at a significantly better rate than uh, short-term assets like G uh, GICs, CDs, or T-bills. But at the same time, we have significant downside protection as well. So my clients absolutely love this. It works. If you want to keep it even simpler and they don't have any midterm uh, goals, you can actually do a two-bucket solution where you basically have uh, more money inside the, your long-term assets. You still have your short-term assets, which is guaranteed, and maybe exclude the whole the, the whole midterm thing. But I know this works extremely well because um, my clients have used it and have been very happy about it as well. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of reminds me of uh, our topic from a couple of, couple of weeks ago about, you know, turbulence, right? And that, you know, you got to understand that turbulence feels much more scary than it actually is. You know, pilots are like, yeah, it's nothing. This is totally normal, natural and whatever. It's just about, you know, having your instruments working, making sure that you've done all your checks and balances and everything's right, but there's nothing to really worry about. And that's why I like that idea during the deaccumulation period of having things in different tranches. You know, I asked a client, I was like, well, do you need all of your million dollars the day you retire? No. Well, how much, 500,000 of that, how long from now do you think you're gonna need that? Oh, I don't know. Well, based on what you told me, maybe 20 years, why would we de-risk that now, right? You're, you're, jumping, you're jumping over returns. And I know this happened personally because my aunt, you know, sold their house. She went and lived with my uncle, sold the house for a million dollars. And we were like, please, Andy March, put this in like an investment. Nothing crazy, but she was insisted that it was in GICs, right? But she was earning 1%, maybe, maybe a little bit less and locked in. She lived another 12 years. She, she lived to age one, 106. That million dollars would have been over $2 million had it just been invested properly. And she didn't need the money anyway. She was living with my uncle who took care of all the expenses. Yep. You know, and you're just like, oh, what a waste. That money went somewhere else. Somebody else earned that money. Well, the only thing guaranteed about a GIC is that you're guaranteed to lose money after tax. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's the only thing that's guaranteed. But, you know, I'm just going to mention a couple of things. Um, one, if you want to reach out to me, I'm, I'm at airmos at plansbell.com. We're always looking for content. Uh, if you have any ideas that you want us to talk about, happy to do so. Uh, I cannot emphasize enough that this is absolutely a great time to prospect. A lot of other advisors are hiding under the desk. They're not returning phone calls. They're afraid to talk to clients. And they're not even afraid to talk to prospects. This is the absolute best time to be reaching out to your prospects. Now, before I hand it over to you, Andy, I just want to make mention, you know, Jack's going to be with us uh, next week, and that's his picture right there. And uh, he's going to go over how he landed a $2.7 million deal from a Planswell lead, and he'll be discussing that next week. So make sure that you're here next week, because Jack's going to be here in person to tell everybody how he landed a $2.7 million deal. But Andy, I'm going to hand it over to you to finish this off. Yeah, I'm super excited about, uh, about that, Jack. I think that was in his first, like, month of being with plans well, over Christmas, which most advisors think you can't do any business. You can't get people of interest during the Christmas season. Not it true. Was lead. It was his fifth lead. Yeah. So that he's proof right there that that is not, uh, you know, the reality. Um, 
as I said, you know, some people on here are partners, some people aren't. For those of you who aren't, you know, I, I say this and I'm quite blatant about it. You know, with PlansWell, we let you take this whole thing for a test drive completely risk-free. If you don't love it and think it's amazing, well, it costs you nothing. And, you know, I say all the time, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain by, you know, really seeing what's under the hood, kicking the tires yourself, right? You get access to me and Aramos and lots of other resources. You know, you can email Aramos if you're interested in finding out how that goes goes or if somebody's been in contact with you with plans well they can walk you through more in depth of how this all works share a little bit more about all the other content above and beyond uh the leads that come in uh every single month so i really encourage you to do that um just to give you something anecdotally i was not a financial advisor until 2017 I have now worked with over 300 clients in the last four years. And probably 35% of those came as referrals from the other 70% that came from Planswell using that advisor referral link that Airmost mentioned at the top. So listen, there's, there's every reason to find out more about it, to get to the next level. And I don't think you have your last slide there, Airmost, or do you? Our, our our ending slide all right it leads in perfectly yeah and thank you for coming everybody yes uh once again i really appreciate you taking the time today we're here to provide value and if you have any ideas for future content please send me an email and we'd be happy to oblige um andy and i are signing off thank you everyone for uh attending today and you have yourself a prosperous week andy goodbye, goodbye my friend always a pleasure